Okay, book of Habakkuk. Fist bump, right, thumbs up, something. There we go, okay, good. Habakkuk chapter one. Now, I gotta tell you, I've been looking so forward to getting to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk, if you don't know, if you've been reading along, Habakkuk is a guy that has a problem with God. Habakkuk has some serious questions for what God is doing and why God is doing what he's doing or why God is not doing something. Habakkuk has all these questions and he's wrestling with God. Habakkuk is a Jewish prophet to the southern kingdom, Judah. Uh, Habakkuk, it's very important that he's a pre-exilic prophet. You know, we've been reading through the prophets and sometimes we get a little mixed up in what prophet falls where. It's very important to understand, is this prophet before the Babylonian exile? Is he during the exile or is he after the exile like Daniel? Isaiah, Jeremiah, before exile. Jeremiah kind of during the exile. Daniel on the other side of being carried off into Babylon. Habakkuk is before the Babylonian captivity. It's very important for you to understand. Habakkuk is writing before the Babylonians come into Judah, wipe out Jerusalem, and carry them into captivity. Now, God is going to make something known to Habakkuk that's going to give Habakkuk real trouble. Now, what you see in Habakkuk, the other thing I like about Habakkuk is Habakkuk is a lamenting prophet. You see no preaching in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk never says, thus saith the Lord to the people. That's not what God gives us in the book of Habakkuk. What you have are three chapters. Now, watch this. This is why it's so helpful. Habakkuk is three chapters of honest soul-shaping dialogue between Habakkuk and God. It's a wrestling going on between Habakkuk and God. And we get to peer into this struggle. And here's what's neat, watch. Habakkuk's perspective in chapter one as the book opens and Habakkuk's frame of mind by the time we get to chapter three and this incredible prayer that he makes to God. He is a changed person through these chapters and we get to peer in as God changes his perspective through this season of lament, through this soul-shaping dialogue between Habakkuk and God and we get to peer in and watch. Let me just tell you, one of the reasons I've personally been so excited about Habakkuk and getting to Habakkuk, all scripture is inspired, all scripture is profitable, but I think we would all say, if we look back over the past few years of our life, there are particular portions and sections of scripture that God has used as an anchor and a rock in our lives, right? You can relate to that. Habakkuk's been that for me. I don't know exactly why. I mean, all the way back in college, I can remember as a college student when God was just doing incredible things in my life. First time I read through Habakkuk, I got to that prayer in chapter three. And man, it's been one of those anchor and rock chapters in, the book, in my life for the last 20 years. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no fruit, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle, in the stalls. Translation, though everything shuts down and comes unraveled and falls apart, Habakkuk says, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. 
He makes me like a, like, like a mountain goat to be able to transverse across places of fear and uncertainty with great stability and surety. And man, that has been an anchor for me. Habakkuk chapter three is a prayer that I want to characterize my life. I want to be able to pray with that kind of faith and that kind of confidence of Habakkuk. But there are two chapters that precede chapter three that we got to understand that get Habakkuk to where he can pray something like that that we just read and looked at in chapter three. So what's going on in the book of Habakkuk? Chapter one, verse one, why don't you look there with me? We're not going to be able to go over every verse, but let me just try to hit some high water marks for you and then get us to chapter three. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. So here's Habakkuk's complaint as the book of Habakkuk opens. It says this, The oracle which Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. Verse 2, he says, How long, O Lord, will I cry for help and you not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you, O Lord, make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. Therefore, the law, particularly talking about the law of God, is ignored. It seems to have no power in the lives of your people. And justice, listen to this. This is a description of Habakkuk's day. He says, the law of God seems to be ignored. Contentions arise. Why do you make me see so much iniquity? He goes on and on. And then he says this in verse uh, four. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. It's always twisted. You could say this. Everything seems to be upside down. You may relate to that a little bit. Let me summarize what Habakkuk's basically saying with God. God, why don't you do something? Yeah, I agree. Why don't you do something, God? Now, I want you to get into the heart of Habakkuk here. He's saying things that you have thought and we have uttered and we have said as we look on our world and as we look around us. But God, why don't you do something? He literally is standing in a place of almost of judgment of God and saying, God, you are tolerant of wickedness. Your timing is all messed up. I look around and as best I can discern, God, you're not doing anything. Why don't you act? Verse five, God responds. He says this, look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And incidentally, there are times that I'm reading through a pamphlet or I'm even maybe going to a conference and this verse is like the headline of the, of the conference. You know, God is doing something in your days. You wouldn't believe it if you heard it. Well, they don't understand the context of what's about to happen. God says, okay, Habakkuk, you think I'm not doing anything, you're wrong. 
but you're not gonna like what I'm doing. It says this, verse six, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Same thing as the Babylonians. I'm raising up a Gentile nation, the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people. Now again, Habakkuk is a pre-exilic prophet. God is making known to Habakkuk, the Babylonians, this wicked people are coming and they're going to wipe out Judah. And here is very interesting. It's as if he says, okay, I'm going to deal with my people through the Babylonians. Cross-reference, you don't have to look it up. Jeremiah 51.20, God says, you, speaking of Babylon, you are my war club, my weapon of war. And God makes very clear here, verse 6, don't miss it. This is what you want to camp out here for a minute. God says, he doesn't say, the Babylonians are coming. Better do something. He says, I am raising up the Chaldeans. It's me. I'm doing it. And they're coming. Verse 6 and 7 and 8, you can just kind of read over those on your own. God gives a description of the Babylonians as if we've talked about that a lot over the past few weeks. But this is a wicked, foreign, evil, powerful nation and God describes them as that fierce and impetuous people, verse 6, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not their own. They're imperialistic. They're out to take over the world. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. In other words, they don't bow a knee to me. Verse 9, all of them come for violence. Verse 10, this is interesting. Speaking to Habakkuk, a Jew, he says, they mock at kings and rulers or a laughing matter to them. Habakkuk, they're going to mock your king. And then in the middle of that verse, he says, they laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. One of the confidences of the Jews was their fortified city, Jerusalem. God says, they're going to laugh at your fortress. And they're going to heap up a siege wall by which they'll capture Jerusalem. Verse 11, they'll sweep through like wind. But God says they will be held guilty. Those whose strength is their God. I want to stop right here for a minute. I really want, I hope as you've read through Habakkuk, and even as you hear through it tonight, your heart is captured by the reality that Habakkuk says, okay, God, why don't you do something? And then God says, okay, here's what I'm doing. And now it's as if Habakkuk says, oh God, don't do that. Oh God, don't do that. And he goes on and it seems to be what he says in verse 12. He, Habakkuk responds back to God. And you can see this dialogue back and forth between God, this soul-shaping dialogue going on between Habakkuk and God. He, he responds very theologically accurate in verse 12. Now make clear, Habakkuk is a God-fearing, Jehovah-believing person. He, he worships the Lord his God. But his view and understanding of who God is is about to be stretched. He knows his theology, verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? He says, we're not going to die. 
You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Habakkuk responds as a true God worshiper with great theological accuracy. He's right with that, but man, Habakkuk's got a struggle. Habakkuk's got a struggle here, and he's going to share that with us in verse 13. His struggle, and we get to watch him struggle. By the way, as I was kind of wrestling with Habakkuk this week, and it's been a wrestling match with me, some of the, the concepts that are in here. I had lunch with a very good friend this past Thursday, and we were just talking, and he said something to me that just caught me. And I said, man, I'm going to quote you Sunday or over the weekend of the message. He said this, when was the last time you had significant growth in Christ-likeness when everything was comfortable? When was the last time God did something just great in your life of, of pushing you toward him and pushing you toward new dependence and pushing you to greater worship and pushing you toward this recognition of who he is when everything was just fine and everything was going comfortably your way? Habakkuk's in a struggle. God has made known something to him that has left him struggling. And in that struggle, he grows in his trust and his dependence of his God. Verse 13, he says this, Lord, I, I don't get it. He said, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. Lord, you cannot look upon wickedness with favor. Why then, Lord, do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? The Babylonians why are you silent? And here's the catch. If you, if you don't mark this in verse 13. Why are you silent, Lord, when the wicked, referring to the Babylonians, swallow up those more righteous than they? Habakkuk is struggling with how can God, who is righteous and just, use unrighteous, unjust means for his good purposes in the lives of his people? God, I don't get that, how you can do that. That doesn't fit into my understanding of you, oh God, from everlasting to everlasting, my holy one, my God. How can you do that and be just? Habakkuk struggling. Now notice, I think this is really interesting. This helped me this week. Habakkuk does not struggle with God's sovereign control over the Babylonians. I mean, God said, look, I'm sending the Babylonians. You don't see Habakkuk struggling with that. He rests in that. But he does struggle in how God can sovereignly use what is declared to be wicked and wrong and unrighteous in the lives of God's people for God's good. How can you do that and be just, O oh God? How can you use evil in my life for your good purposes? Time out. I want to suggest to you that the way you wrestle and you struggle with this question, God... When evil comes into your life or things don't happen or work according to your plan and in your mind it is unfair, unjust, that person is evil who's working against you, that situation is evil that came into your life, whatever it may be, how you wrestle with this question will determine, watch this, whether you live your life as a victim or as a victor in Christ. Because a victim is a victim of evil, but a victor is one who wrestles and understands it is God and his sovereignty that is behind and controlling this for his glory. I don't understand how it all works, but I'm going to refuse to live as a victim, but rather a 
victor, trusting the greatness of God. Now Habakkuk continues. I won't take time to read it all. You can read it there, verse 14, verse 16. He talks about how wicked, again, the Babylonians are. So he continues there, and he gets to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says this. I'll stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Here's what Habakkuk's saying. I think I got a pretty good argument here, God. I'm going to stand on my guard post. I don't know how you have an answer. How can you, a holy God, use unrighteous Babylonians, now watch this, against the righteous people of Judah? How can you do that, Lord? God's going to respond. He's going to help us. Chapter 2, verse 2. It's not going to be on the screen. You just look at it. It's so important what God is about to say here. He says to Habakkuk, I want you to write this down, Habakkuk. I want you to write this down. I want you to write it on scrolls. I want you to write it on tablets. For what I'm about to reveal, this vision is for yet an appointed time. It'll hasten toward the goal. It will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Write this down, Habakkuk, so those generations to come can read it. And we're reading it here today. Then he comes to verse 4. And I want you to look at verse 4 with me. We're going to camp out there for a minute. This week as I was wrestling through Habakkuk and been wrestling through this, I I, I really have struggled with why the flow of thought is as it is. And then you get to chapter 2, verse 4, and God seems to say something that doesn't fit the flow of thought. Hang with me. He says, in the midst of all of this talk about the righteous and the unrighteous, how can you use the unrighteous Babylonians to work in the lives of Quote, unquote, the righteous people of Judah. How does that work? And God responds in verse 4, and he says, behold. I want you to hear this, Habakkuk. He says, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. He says, the soul of the proud one is not right within him, but opposed to that, the righteous one or the righteous people will live by faith. Why do you say that here, God? And why did you say write it down? Because it's so important. Here's what I I think God is saying here as best I can wrestle through this because it sets the trajectory for the rest of the rest of the book. In the context of Habakkuk's argument that the righteous Israel is suffering at the hands of the unrighteous Babylonians, God makes one of the most theologically clear declarations in all of Scripture of this. Who is really righteous? How is a person made righteous? And how does a person or how does a righteous person live? He describes this reality of faith in the one true God. It is as if he's saying, Habakkuk, you have become very man-centered in your understanding because you are charging me, God, with acting unjustly because you have declared the Babylonians to be unjust because they're Babylonians. And watch, you have declared the people of Judah to be just and righteous because they're Jews. And he says, your understanding of who is righteous and what makes a person righteous is all distorted and backwards, Habakkuk. 
He describes faith in God as opposed to the self-sufficient, the self-centered, the self-exalting pride. Right here in the middle of this, he gives one of the most apt, accurate theological statements of who is really righteous. And how a righteous person is to live by faith. Pride-smashing, God-honoring, Jesus-dependent, word-clinging, trusting the promises of God, faith that honors God, right here in the middle of Habakkuk. In fact, it's so important, the Apostle Paul, this, this verse right here is quoted three times in the New Testament. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 1 in that great declaration, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, when he declares it is this attitude of faith of how someone comes to know Christ, to know God. Not pride, not self-sufficiency, repenting of my pride and embracing by faith God and God alone. By faith, a person is made righteous. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 takes this same verse and describes this is how we walk by faith. This is how we endure in the Christian life. This is how the righteous live. We endure, we continue, we walk by faith as opposed to pride, as opposed to self-sufficiency, as opposed to trusting ourselves, this pride-smashing, God-trusting, word-depending Faith that God is describing here. Now, okay, Pastor Mike, I, I get all that. What? Why does God say that here? The point seems to be here is that this pride-smashing, God-depending, promise-trusting faith in your God and your provision is the way one is made righteous. And as chapter 2 continues, by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, as you've read it, I'm not going to take time to read it all. Habakkuk is no longer standing in judgment of God. He is exalting God for his mercy because here seems to be what happens through chapter 2. Habakkuk realizes, wait a minute, those that I thought were righteous because of their Jewishness, they're no more walking by faith than the Babylonians, and they are deserving. God, you are working to build faith. It is, here it is. It is faith that honors you, and your people are not walking by faith. And God makes that so clear to Habakkuk. And for Habakkuk, it becomes a glory of God issue rather than a man issue of saying, God, how can you justly judge your righteous people? And God says, those who walk by faith and, walk by, and know me by faith, those are the righteous ones, Habakkuk. And, then, and then through chapter 2, I won't take time to do it all. There's a description of the proud, verse 5, he enlarges his appetite. His soul is never satisfied. He gathers to himself, verse six, the proud, they're greedy for gain. More, more, more. Verse 13, they pursue emptiness and grow weary for nothing. Verse 18, they trust in their own strength and their own handiwork. Verse 19, they say to a piece of wood, awake. They trust in their own strength, the work of their own hands instead of the God of heavens. And Habakkuk seems to realize at the moment Wait a minute. That's not just the Babylonians. That's the majority of Judah. 
And then throughout this chapter, it's woven this reality. And here's your big truth that I think guides the whole book of Habakkuk as best I can tell it. Is this, your big truth is this, the righteous live by faith. The righteous are declared righteous by faith. The righteous endure by faith. The righteous walk through evil by faith. And Habakkuk says, I, I now realize it is faith that honors you. Pride smashing, self-rejecting, repentant, God-honoring, promise-trusting faith. Middle of verse, or chapter 2, he gives some big ideas. We'll chase really quick out of this. Big idea number one is this. Enduring faith trusts in God's future promises. That's not what Judah was doing. But you come to verse 14, it says this. For in the light of all these pursuits of the wicked, in light of all this gathering by the wicked for themselves, he says... For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He says, but those who walk by faith, it says this to say, trust God's future promises. God reminds Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I will deal with evil one day. I will deal with the Babylonians. I will deal with all wickedness, but it is now that you trust me by faith in my future promises. This is not some remote statement, by the way, in the book of Habakkuk. He's drawing from Numbers chapter 14 when God declared this to be true. He's drawing from Isaiah 6. He's drawing from Isaiah 9 that the promise of the covenant God to his covenant people is one day I'm going to make everything right. And man, when everything is unraveling, and everything is coming in glued. It is the promise of God that the people of faith hold on to. And that is our anchor. Enduring faith holds on to the future promises of God. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, Habakkuk seems to understand that's not what characterizes the people of Judah. You are not being honored, God, by your people. It seems to break his heart and his whole perspective has changed. And watch, he no longer stands in judgment of God. By the time you get to chapter 3, he's on his face before God in prayer. Chapter 2 ends, this is not on the screen, I'll just end this incredible verse, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. You know what that seems to, what that seems just to speak as it, Habakkuk's perspective has changed from how God is acting so unjustly to Judah to now a God-centeredness to say, God, you are not being honored as God. Breaks his heart. And you come to chapter 3. Let's see if, we can, see if we can get to this great prayer of Habakkuk, chapter 3. The mood changes to a God-centeredness. Remember Habakkuk as the book started, God... But you do something. God, I don't like what you're doing. It's not right. How can you let all this evil happen? God, what are you doing? Then you get to chapter 3, and it begins, and it says this, a prayer of Habakkuk. It's glorious. Now he's praying. He's praying this incredible prayer of faith. He says, Lord, verse 2. He says, I've heard the report about you, and I fear. What report? Well, what he's just shared, what you're about to do. Now listen, he says, oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Stop right there. 
Habakkuk is now praying. God, in light of your glory and in light of what you're doing to stir faith in your people that honors you, Lord, if you have to, bring on the Babylonians. Do your work in the midst of the years. You, you know, this is so convicting to me. You know, the New Testament parallel to Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2 is this. When Jesus, when Jesus prays in the book of Matthew, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Habakkuk has now shifted to a God-centeredness and he says, God, you do whatever you have to do to grow faith in your people that honors you, to bring your people to brokenness, to bring your people to repentance so that you will receive the glory that is due your name. Can we just stop right there for a minute? And when I was reading through this, I had to stop and I asked myself, during the past four months of the COVID pandemic and all the disruption that we've gone through, what has characterized your prayer life and my prayer life? Because if my prayer life has been characterized merely by, Lord, get us through this, help us to quit wearing masks, Lord, whatever this inconvenience that I've gone through, instead of God, purify your people, make your people more like Jesus, purify your church, then I'm not praying like Habakkuk. God, you do what you have to do to carry out your purposes for your glory. Man, that's good. That's a whole perspective shift in Habakkuk who went from God, I don't like what you're doing, to God, you do whatever you must do for your glory. He continues on, he says, but, I love this, in your wrath, as the Babylonians are coming, remember mercy. It's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? Or do you do what you must do for the sanctification of your people, the growth of your people, to bring us to God honoring repentance and deeper faith, those who don't know you, to bring them to faith, to bring honor and glory, the sanctification of your church. Lord, you do what you must do, but in it, Lord, oh, remember mercy. He keeps going. I'll do this quickly. Big idea number two is this. Enduring faith remembers God's past faithfulness. So in this wrestling match of Habakkuk, now back to this God-centeredness perspective, he, he remembers God's past faithfulness. And we won't take time to read through all this. I, I, I pray that you read through this and make this your prayer. He, he says, God comes from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. His radiance is like, like, like the sunlight. He has rays flashing from his hand. There is Hiding of his power before him, verse 5, goes pestilence and plague comes after him. You know what he's recounting? He's giving you a quick overview of God's saving purposes of bringing Israel from Egypt, out of Egypt, into the promised land. He's recounting God's past faithfulness of redeeming and saving his people. It's like the Lord's Supper for us of taking the Lord's Supper and remembering the cross. It's like praising and singing choruses and hymns that declare God's saving work and his past faithfulness. It's like opening your Bible and praying over, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. 
Those who walk by faith and endure in faith, Habakkuk here now, continually remember God's past faithfulness. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. His heart has switched from this man-centeredness of, God, that's not right, that's not fair, how can you do this? God, do whatever you do to must glorify yourself. And Lord, I know by walking with you, however long Habakkuk had been walking with God, I don't know. I can recount and look back over your past faithfulness and I can trust you now. I can trust you based on what is coming. I can walk by faith. Because I trust your future promises. I remember your past faithfulness. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and quaked. Verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You have been faithful. You will carry out your redemptive purposes through history. I can trust you in your faithfulness. I know it in the future. I can look on the past. And then we come to the present of his prayer in verse 16. How can you pray something like that, Habakkuk? Verse 16. Here's your big idea number three, and we'll close with this. Enduring faith worships in the present no matter what. So enduring faith looks to God's promises in the future, looks to God's faithfulness in the past, which enables from the word of God and his promises that are our rock-solid foundation to worship in the present no matter what. And he says, verse 16, I heard and my inward parts trembled. I heard what was coming. And the sound of my lips quivered. Decay entered my bones. And in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of the distress for the people who will arise and invade us. Make a note. The situation has not changed. The Babylonians are coming. It is going to be painful. It is going to be distress. It is going to turn everything in their lives upside down. At the beginning of the book, Habakkuk is saying, God, why are you doing this? God, this is not just. But now, listen to the prayer of Habakkuk. And oh Lord, make this our prayer. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, Though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. He said, Pastor Mike, I don't know a lot about fig trees. I don't know a lot about olives. I don't even know a lot about cattle. In this day, what Habakkuk describes here is complete economic devastation fig trees are gone olives are shut down that's the source of fuel there's no cattle in the stalls our food supply is disrupted everything completely unravels that's not going to change that's coming verse 18 and I just want you to hear this and I, and I pray by faith we can make this our prayer this faith-saturated, pride-smashing prayer of faith that honors the Lord God. Verse 18, no matter what, yet I will exult in the Lord. 
word exult is the condition of my soul is fixed on him. No matter what happens around me, this exultation from within, I'm fixed on him. I will rejoice. There is joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He's made my feet like kind's feet. Makes me walk on my high places. Again, the imagery there is this mountain goat who is in a place of great fear and a place of great uncertainty, just jumping across these mountains. I've been in Israel. I've seen that. These goats are just all over these mountains with great stability, great confidence. And you look at it, you go, how in the world can they do that? Make my feet like hinds feet. Make me walk with confidence and stability and trust because the Lord God is my strength. His word is the anchor of my soul. righteous will walk by faith. Enduring faith comes as we look to the future promises of God. We look back and we remember the past faithfulness of God. And that means we can worship now no matter what. Would you bow your heads for just a second? We're going to sing and we're going to worship just with a bowed head for just a moment before we sing. Here, here's my prayer for you tonight. It's this. Can you pray a prayer like Habakkuk? Can you pray a prayer that says, God, no matter what, though everything unravels, though the you fill in the blank, yet I will exult in you. Can you pray? Lord, there's joy. I walk in unceasing joy because the Lord God is my strength. You give me the capacity to walk in confidence, even in a fearful place, even with great uncertainty. And I pray as a person of great faith, you are glorified. Do what you must do to purify my soul, my life, my family, my church your glory. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this truth. Lord, be, uh, may we be those who walk by faith for your glory. In Jesus' name's sake we pray. Amen.